You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Well, we are in a series in the book of James. Some of you know James as James or Jacob or the half-brother of Jesus. As I've made mention many times, I would always lead with that. If I was the half-brother of Jesus, right, Steve? I would be like telling everybody, do you know that my half-brother is Jesus, the king of the universe? I would always lead with that. Um, Of course, that would be on my resume. Hopefully, I'd get any job that I've ever applied to. Do you know who my brother is? You know, and that kind of thing. Uh, But we have been learning a lot. I've been learning a lot. And the thing that James has done is he's really given us wisdom into navigating this thing called the church. And where I want to lead you today is I want to lead you to a response. That's, that's hopefully the goal of any good communicator is that we're not just sharing things and you go home, but there's a response that takes place. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to move like you've already done in worship. Like we need you to move now in our own lives that we not only responded, but now we want to hear from you. Any good communication, any good relationship is about dialogue today. We need to hear from you, Holy Spirit. So speak to us today. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of James. We're on chapter 4 today. You can open your Bibles, chapter 4. We're going to get to that in a few moments. But I want to do a recap a little bit, share a little bit of what we've been through. Week 1, we talked about the cheat sheet. You guys are going through tests. I'm going through. We're all going through tests. In fact, James 1 says, count it all joy. When you encounter trials or tests of every kind. So when you go through a hard time, you should shout praise. Like when you get a bad report at the doctor's, hallelujah, this is a good time. Shock that doctor right away. Just like, do you understand the news you just told me? I'm counting it joy. When you get let go of your job, you count it joy. Some of you like, I wish I would get let go of my job. I hate my job. No, I'm talking about the things that you enjoy. When the enemy comes after you, there's a test and a trial, but we count it all joy. That's the cheat sheet of life. Your joy is the response to the test. Then the second week, we talked about fraudulent faith. James 2 says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Your faith, my faith has action to it. If you don't have action behind your faith, it's just words. And then last week we talked about wisdom words. Your words create worlds. Like what you say creates things around you. Do you know that? This has been studied. Even science can study that when you talk to your plants. Anybody talk to their plants? Well, somebody did. That's why they did a test on it. And and they, they yelled at one plant and they loved one plant. They put really dark music to one plant, real happy music. And the plants grew differently. It's proven. James 3 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So today, let's get to chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go to chapter 4. If you have your devices, it's chapter 4, James. We're going through the ESV. We're going to read this. It comes out of the gate swinging says, verse 1, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not the Karens that God has placed in your church? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. And I'm sorry, Karen, if you're here. We're going to get through this name thing. I'm telling you. It's going to be Deborah next. Anyway. 
and Ruth and Esther. Okay, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your what? Your passions are at war within you. It's no one else, it's you, it's inside of you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because when you ask wrongly, you spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 12, 13, come now and you say, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Woo, so much to unpack. We thank you that your word is powerful today in 2023. We need you more than ever, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts. Illuminate these places inside of us, even right now that you want to clarify and clean up. And Lord, we thank you that we're going to walk out of this place changed in Jesus' name, if you believe that, would you say amen? Yeah. Amen. How many have been in church for, I don't know, 20 years or more? I've been in church, grew up in church. Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Let's do that one too. Grew up, okay, all right. So you all know that the church can be a little messy, right? No, it can, it can. No, I know some of you are like, no, not on my watch. Church can get messy. And here's the deal. Many times people get surprised by the church being messy. But it's interesting because the same people out there are in here. The people you work with go to church. <laughs> I mean, so why do we think that there is a difference? What James is saying is, is that we need to make sure that the worldliness is not in here. That's what's going to stop it. Have you ever heard the term friendly fire? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I want to give you an example. I looked up an actual person hurt by friendly fire. And you can put this picture up here. This guy is First Lieutenant John R. Fox, December 26, 1944. He was of the U.S. 366th Infantry Regiment, was part of a forward observer group on the Italian front. His job was to call directions to artillery fire from behind the American lines. As German troops overran the village of Somacolia, Fox's unit was cut off. 
it became apparent that they would be overwhelmed. Listen to this. Fox called in an artillery strike on his own position. He knew he would be killed, but so would the German forces around him. Fox's self-sacrifice brought the Americans time to regroup and retake the village. He was, after he died, he was awarded the Medal of Honor in 1997, and in 2005, the, the toy company Hasbro produced an action figure of him. This is a man that literally died with friendly fire. Now, if I were to put people in church, I put their faces up there, you'd be like, oh, I remember that person. Where are they at now? Because friendly fire, it happens. These are the things that James is talking about. It not only happens in the world in war, but it happens in the church. And let me say where the, where the real root of it is, it's right here. Point to here. Point to this. Point to this right now. It's right here. It's inside of us. This is what James is saying. He's been unlocking all the mysteries through this, through this, this study. But here he's saying the, the things raging around you are actually because of the things raging inside of you. Now, some of you say, no, 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 there's nothing raging inside of me. Do you know me, Pastor Mark? I am so kind and so beautiful. Like, there is not a hatred bone in my, you lie. You, listen, there is passion all around. In fact, James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. This is the friendly fire. It's not us fighting one another. It's you fighting yourself. That's why I titled this message, Passionate People. Passionate People. We are all passionate people. Now, some of us are more passionate. Who would consider themselves a passionate person? Raise your hand. See, hands go right up. Because if you're passionate, you want people to know. I don't even need to think about it. He's saying, passion. I'm right up. I am the most passionate person you will ever find. Listen, passionate people are great, right? We love passionate people. We're going to get fired up with passionate people. They rally us up. But passionate people can get on your nerves, especially when they're passionate about something you don't like, like the Chiefs. Sandy, I was kidding. I was looking right at you. I'm still getting forgiveness. I'm walking it out. But I love you, Sandy. I love you. It's my problem. It's the war with inside of me. It is. I, I know you can forgive. You're living good. You're living good. You got no war. That's okay. Stinking refs. Bad calls. You want me to keep going? Bad field. What else? I, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go, Nick. I really am. Listen, you guys are laughing, but I never realized I was passionate until I came to the South. Like when I'm living in New Jersey, up north, some of you up north people know, like we just different, right? Right, Eric, we different. And when we came down here, you know, I'd be driving through Spring Hill. People be waving. I'd be like, well, they want to fight? Do you want me to pull this car over right now? You calling me out. I'm just waving. You know, I'm used to one finger in the hand going up. I'm not used to all five. But I, I was like, what is going on here, right? Passionate people. I didn't realize how passionate I was until I went to a Titans game. Now, listen, I know the Titans have come a long way. You got Derrick Henry run through walls. You know, you got your amazing quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He's, Tannehill, he's so good. <laughs> well, let's not talk about Oh, we like, yeah, A.J. Brown. We thank you guys for that. Anyway, I'm back. Don't pull me off there. I went to a Titans game, right? Now, let me just say, some of you don't understand. When you go to a Philly game, you are, your life is even threatened, even if you are a Philly fan. Like I told my son, don't look at anybody. Just look down, okay? Even if they have an Eagles gear, we're, we're, we're going to make it out of here alive, right? There's so much passion. When I went to the Titans game, guys were playing either the Bengals or the Bears. I forget. 
But I remember watching two or three fans cheering. They were destroying the Titans, and they were, they were standing up. Titans fans sitting down. and def- They were cheering. I thought, is somebody going to take care of them? <laughs> Do you remember this? You remember that? I, I looked at my wife. I said, I can't believe they're letting this happen right here. Do you want me to take care of this? I realized I was passionate. <laughs> but here's the deal. It may not be sports for you, but it could be things like, let's see, your job. Some of you passionate about your job. Some of you passionate about your family. Some of you mama bears in here, if you touch my kid, I'll come out of the cave. I'll come out of hibernation. I'm going to eat you. I'm going to eat you. Like, you passionate about your family. Some of you passionate about your house. Like, you got that house so looking good, no one's coming over. I'm not going to mess this up. Do not invite anybody over. I remember I grew up. We had neighbors, Eleanor and Matt. My dad had to figure that last name, that second one name out, the first service. And Eleanor and Matt, they were older, right? I remember going over there as a kid, the first time I ever encountered a couch fully encased in plastic. (laughs) The whole living room. You, You know people like that? Your grandma? Yeah, you know why? Because they're passionate about their sofa. You're not going to sit on that sofa ever. They're going to die, go to heaven. The sofa's still going to look good. Never got sat on. That plastic wrap, I sat on. I was like, is this normal? I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. Passionate. You're not going to sit on my sofa. Some of you passionate about your education. Like you spent a lot of money on it. And you're passionate about what you're doing. Some of you passionate about your hobby. Maybe it's. That's a bad swing right there. I don't know. I don't do golf. Maybe you're passionate about that. Maybe you're passionate about your future. But here's the deal. You're passionate about something. And if none of those things hit you, maybe you're passionate about getting your way. Maybe you're passionate about being right. But Paul, or I should say James, is saying whatever you're passionate about, if it's not Jesus, it's going to cause a battle in your heart. And He's trying to tell the church, we got to step this up. we got to get to another level. See, passion can be a gift or it can be your downfall. What causes fights among you? Look what, look what James says. He's so good, he tells us. You desire and don't have. Have anybody ever been there before? You covet, you cannot obtain. You ask wrongly, oh, and then when you get it, you spend it on your own passions. And you have friendship with the world. Now, make no mistake, James is not saying be friends with people outside the church. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you actually align yourself with the enemy of God. And if you align yourself with the enemy of God, you now are in the direct defiance of being a friend. We sing, I'm a friend of God, but we friendship with the world. We're going to talk about this. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is, number one, in verse 7, he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know what that is? One word, humility. Now, this is hard in the church today, right, because we're all full of pride. We all love what we do. We all love who I am and what I'm wearing and all these things. We don't want to mess up our mascara, so we don't want to cry too much. We wanna, but, but when we humble ourselves before God, it's like, whatever you want, I'm here. Nothing else matters. I don't care how I look. I'm humble before you. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. Have you ever submitted yourself to God? Like, have you ever said, God, whatever you want, I submit myself to? Have you said that? Because that's dangerous. Like, like, don't say that if you don't want to do it. Like, I would encourage you, do not pray that prayer. 
Whatever you want me to do. Don't pray that prayer. You'll be living on Malta. I don't know. You don't want to pray that prayer unless you really truly believe that you can submit yourself to God. Then verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like this because when I see the word flee, it's not just leave. I see him running. But it says resist the devil. That means that you have the ability to turn away from. Your choice is to either partner with him or resist him. And many times we don't realize that we have the power to resist the devil. There's passions in us that he likes to push on. So stop blaming the devil for all the things happening in your life and start resisting him. You don't have to be partnered with him. You don't have to listen to him. Verse 80 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's like the first action statement is draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. See, proximity is the key to staying in humility. You want to be humble, you got to be near to God. When you're near to him, you will be closer to him and you will be humble. Listen, the further I drift from God's plan and presence, the harder it is to resist the enemy. Because when I'm further away from him, I'm now doing it on my own works. But when I'm close to him, I just say, God, give me strength. It's easy. He's right here. So it's all about proximity. Draw near to God. Verse 8, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Man, James is going in. He's calling us murderous. He's calling us adulterous. He's calling us double-minded. And this is the church he's talking to. But he's saying, listen, when your actions line up like this, you are a double-minded sinner. And he says this in chapter 1. We read this. He says, for the one who doubts is like the sea, the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person, this is scary, should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, what? Unstable in all his ways. Do you know that when you are double-minded, you are actually unstable in everything that you do? So we're blaming all the different people. We're blaming the government. We're blaming our friends. We're blaming my mom. I'm blaming all sorts of people. And meanwhile, it's the war inside of us that makes us unstable with our money, with our relationships, with our health, all of those things. We're blaming other people. God says it's right here get this dealt with so how do we know if we're friends with the world let's say number one your personal pleasures are more important than your spiritual pleasures what i got to do i got to do these things how do we know if we're friends with the world if that thing controls you well, i don't know what your thing is but something is there if you have to continue to justify that thing right I mean, some of us, it's our phones, right? Get off your phone. Get off your, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm doing work. I tell my wife all the time. I'm, I'm doing stuff, you know? And then the Lord said, no, 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 you, you, you don't need to be on there. I'm not talking about malicious things on there. Just sucking time. If you got to justify that thing, that thing controls you. How about this? If we care more about the wor- how the world views us than how the church does or how Jesus does. How about if it destroys your relationships, controls you? If your relationships are being destroyed by it, it is a war within you. And here's the other one, if you can't find it in the Bible. Because we all want to justify our stuff. We find the twisted scriptures. We take something out of context and we slap it on there. And somebody says, I don't even think that's what it means. Jesus wept. That's what I'm doing. That doesn't even work in this situation. Twisted scriptures, the 80s band. I'm telling you right now. But here's the deal. If we can flip that, if we can flip it and have a passion for Christ, things shift around you. 
He says in verse 9, he said, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This, this feels like an anti-psalm right there. <laughs> Turn your joy to sadness. Come on now. Stop laughing. Be sad. Why? What is he saying? Because you're enjoying the things you shouldn't be. You're laughing it up as your world's falling apart. You're smiling, you're posting, you're doing well, and your marriage is tanking. And what James is saying is humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God and let him exalt you. See, this can be summed up in one word, and I want you to hear me. It's the word repentance. And this is a word that we need more in the church because we love the words that say name and claim it. We love the words. He's going to bless you. Ooh, Jesus, hallelujah. But how about repentance? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, that's not the church I go to. We don't want to talk about that. Why? Because that means I have to humble myself and let go of things and actually confess that I don't have it together. For some of you, that's so hard for you to say, I don't have it together. But you don't. And you're holding it together with duct tape. And I know duct tape can fix a lot of things, but eventually it's going to lose its elasticity. It's not going to hold that thing together. And God is allowing things to fall apart in your life so that you finally say, I need you now, Jesus. I repent for trying to be Jesus in my life. Then he says this. He says, don't speak evil or judge your brother. Wow, he's just going in. He's like, let me just clean up everything in the church right now, the church of Jerusalem. Let me just talk to you right now. Some of you, you judging each other. You like talking to somebody and be like, did you see what he did? Meanwhile, you did that three years ago. Yeah. And he's like, we forget that the same measure we judge, we will be judged. And he said, listen, just so you know, God's the ultimate judge. He's got this. You don't have to worry about Susan or Carl or Jim. Let God take care of them. You worry about Mark. You deal with Mark's heart and let God deal with the other people. Because how many know if we were the judge, we wouldn't have picked Paul. If we were the judge, we probably wouldn't have picked Adam. We probably wouldn't have picked Abraham. You probably wouldn't have picked all these people in the Bible because they're all messed up. And you may say, no, they're not. Oh, yes, we were talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They were screwed up. Yet they're the father of our faith. Why? Because God saw past their messed upness. And I'm telling you, that's a good word right now for all the messed up people in this room. So we don't need to be judging anyone. Let God do what he does best. And let's love people. See, that's the friendly fire in the church today. That's where we look at other people and we go, I know she ain't singing up there. You know what she'd be doing? What are you doing? I know he ain't preaching. I know she ain't singing That's what it sounds like to God. It's like enough. Do this. Do this. You know how easy it would be not to judge if we were on our face, humbly submitted to God? We wouldn't be looking around judging people. We'd be laid out in the presence of God going, God, I need you more. Ooh, I don't worry about Susan. I need me. Oh, Jesus, help me. See, the one thing I learned back in the day, like growing up as an Italian, Puerto Ricans, I, I, we feel like I, they were very similar. Spaghetti rice is the same thing. But we were very passionate. I, I realized when I went to her house, we're all just passionate people. And the one thing about Italians, Matt, you can hear this as you're filming me. Don't put this on the webs, okay? But uh, like my brother right there, my brother, like, like we can mess with Matt, but don't you dare mess with him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's how it is with Italians. We're going to mess with my dad. Don't you talk bad about my dad. I'll cut you. But we can talk bad about him. 
And I know that ain't all scripturally and good, but it's ribbon. But the one thing about it I learned is that we are tight-knit as a family. And for some reason, when we come into the church, we go, well, I don't know if I like her that much. You can mess with her. No, we need to gird up one another, protect one another. We need to be, and you know what I love about this church is the diversity. So some of you would naturally not get along with each other, but for some reason Jesus comes in and now that's your sister. That's your brother. And you have to get along with people that don't talk like you, act like you, believe like you, vote like you. It's all part of the plan. God is trying to get you out of the equation. So get the stuff right. No more friendly fire. And then he says this in verse 13. Now, we would pick this out because in my Bible, it's, it's subheaded under something else. It says boasting about tomorrow. But what I realize is this is one complete letter. So he says all of this stuff, and then he says this, don't boast about tomorrow. Why? Because he's saying if you don't get this worked out today, you may not have a tomorrow to work this out. And for many of us, we're pushing that thing down the road, right? My, my, my sin habit, I'm just going to kick it down. I'm, 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 I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get that worked on. I'm going to get that addiction worked on. I'm going to get that anger worked on. I'm going to get that unforget. I'm just going to kick it. We'll, we'll do that tomorrow, next month. We're going to get that dealt with when I got time. And, God, and, and James is saying, he's saying, deal with it today. You don't have the luxury of tomorrow. So when you have an issue with somebody in the church, Book it on the calendar today. Get that worked on right now because we need to be people of the moment. We put too much stock in tomorrow. Get your life right today. So how do we place this in context with the gospel? Well, can I partner this with something Jesus did in Luke? Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. It's part of my message. Luke 7. I want you to see how James is just emulating what Jesus did. In Luke 7. Jesus is with a Pharisee. Now, let me just pause for a moment. For some of you that don't know, the Pharisees were in charge of the church. So if I could put it in this term, this is the church folk. Jesus is going over the church folk house. And it says he's over one of the Pharisees asking to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, now this is, this is kind of a weird situation. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Luke, Luke ain't, he, he's letting you know, this was not a good woman. This is a woman of the night, okay? She coming into the house, and she comes in because she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house. Now, pause for a moment. I don't even know how she knew that she could come in there or how she even knew he was there, but she walks into the house. That's a whole nother story. We ain't going to talk about that. But for some reason, she felt welcomed into the home. She comes into the home of the church member, and look what she does. She brought an alabaster flask of anointment. And standing behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now pause for a moment. Isn't it interesting? The text says he said to himself, but Jesus knew what he was saying. See, we ain't going to fake, fake out Jesus. Jesus already knows what's going on in your heart. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, Jesus, ah, he heard it, and he said, he says, hey, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. He said, a certain money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and one who owed another 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Easy answer. Simon says, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. 
Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Or you can say, he who forgiven much loves much. Now, let me just break this down today and parallel it with what James is saying. Jesus is addressing the church. He says, listen, for some reason, we've lost this intimacy I walked in here and you didn't provide water for my feet. Let me explain to you what was going on because Jesus would have absolutely walked on dirt roads. And he had sandals, not Crocs. He walked around. That was a joke, by the way. I don't know, not a good joke. Okay, the point of it was he, he walked on the dirt roads. His feet were musty, dusty, and burned and calloused and muddy and all sorts of stuff. So it was customary for them to wash the feet of those that came over. This man, the church, did none of that. This woman did it with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He said, you didn't even do that. And just so you know, to really honor someone, the host of the house would wash the feet. That's why later on in Jesus' ministry, he washes the feet of his disciples. Then he says, you didn't kiss me. Now, today that sounds weird, but back then it was absolutely common for you to address each other in a sign of respect in the East for men to kiss each other's hands. And if you really knew each other, you would kiss them on the cheek because that was a sign of equal. We're equal. This woman took it a whole nother level and kissed his feet. Humility came low. The dirty feet. I'm not just going to kiss your head or your hand. I'm going to kiss your feet. And then the oil. The oil was common that you would put it on the head. That was a sign of honor when you came in. They would honor you by pouring oil on your head. She poured it on his feet. Why? Because it was precious. It was expensive. And here's the deal. You don't put it on the feet because the feet are going to get dirty. The oil's going to get dirt, washed off, but the head would last. She says, I'm going to pour this expensive ointment on your feet because you're worthy of it all. And here's the problem. This is the problem I have with this text. He's talking to the church, and the broken, hurting world is honoring Jesus more than the church is. This is because we've lost our first love. And, and, and James does that. He says this at the very end. He said, there's only one lawgiver and judge, for he is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Then he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. We've forgotten the cost that Jesus paid for our sins. Man, I'm so thankful for Jasmine and Nick singing about the blood. Sometimes we don't sing about the blood. Imagine just coming into church, not knowing anything about you. They're singing about blood in here. I knew, I knew church was messed up. But we know the blood is what saves us. The blood is what purifies us. The blood is what heals us. And so when we sing about the blood, it takes all the pressure off of us having to do anything, but the blood already took care of it. We need more songs about Jesus, more songs about the blood, more songs about repentance, more songs about us putting our trust in him. See, we have treated sacred things common and common things sacred. We have allowed our schedule to dictate our time with Jesus. Instead of saying, Jesus, you author my schedule. 
We've allowed the hurts in our own lives to draw us away from God as opposed to our hurts drawing us towards God saying, I need you. We have become people of misplaced passions. And thus our passions are misplaced. We end up firing at one another and the church walks around limped, broken, hurting, desperate. We got to get this right. I've been talking to people that have been reading about Asbury University. We know that this week, I wouldn't say they ended, but they transitioned. I think the way they handled it was beautiful. There's been things that they've done intentionally at this university to steward the, 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 the beautiful part of what God is doing by not allowing the celebrity people in the world to come up and try to overtake it. I've watched some of their services, and, and these are young people not singing on key, Guitars out of tune. There's no LED screen behind them. You know what I mean? Like the lighting is off. And I love it. I'm like, that's South you. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not true. But here's the beautiful thing about it. It's raw because that's what Jesus wanted to do. But here's the thing about it. I've read about it. There's not a whole lot of manifestations like some charismatics would have believed. That's revival. It's just a simple weightiness of God's presence. Like people that I know and I trust were there and they go, there's just a peace. Like it's just weight, like you just sit there. There's no performance, it's just peaceful. And this is what I've heard them say. They said that God is calling people to repentance. This is what people are repenting of. It says addiction, pride, fear, anger, bitterness. These are 25 years and younger people that you would say, how could they possibly be fueled with all of that? Why? Because the enemy gets you young now. So here's some questions I want us to look at. What passions have we lost the battle against? Every one of us in this room, we're waging war against something. Many times we like to put the, you know, the big ones up there, like say murder or adultery or alcoholism or drug addiction or pornography, whatever that is, we're just, okay, those are the big ones, but what if it's gossip? What if it's unforgiveness? What if it's bitterness? What if my issue is not allowing God to have full reign in my heart because I want to be in control? What if it's the way I judge my spouse, disrespect my parents, refuse to do what God tells me to do? Those are all things that we need to repent of. Have we fought so hard against each other that we've forgotten what it's like to fight alongside? Like when I look at each one of you, I think about if this was an army and we were going to battle, look at all the different gifts and skill sets in this room that we could wage war against the enemy and overtake and win this city for Christ. When's the last time we truly repented? You know what's so interesting? When, 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 when we come to know Jesus, we talk about repentance. Come forward and repent and make him Lord and Savior, but we think that's it. Like repentance is one and done. But, but in scripture, it talks about repenting, turning away from. Like this is literally a day-to-day -day dying to yourself. Because I don't know about you, but every day I deal with stuff. 
Every day I wake up, I'm, I have an opportunity to think ill will about my wife or complain about my kids or hate my job or, 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 or complain about traffic or, or, or doubt or fear or deal with anxiety or stress. I never felt like I was a depressed person until the last few years I started feeling it creeping at my door. And I'm realizing that every day I have to repent and say, God, I need you. I can't do this. I can't lead this church. I can't lead these kids. I can't lead my wife if it's not for you. I need you more. See, every day if we begin to repent, he will come in and take over. And we love that song by Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. But are we really willing to give him the directions and the wheel and the ability to go wherever he wants? And for some of us in this room, repentance is me saying, I give up. I remember my wife years ago. Some of you know this story. God had to hit her and say, listen, are, are you going to control these kid things? Like, you got four and no more. I'm a, I want to give you more. She had to respond to something God was saying. And thankfully, she said yes, and I partnered with her yes. And since then, we've had six more kids. Six more. James 4.1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not your spouse. It's not your leader of your small group. It's not me. It's the inside of you. It's the passions that Jesus wants to take and heal you from today. See, the friendly fire we're talking about, it's here. It's here. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. We've got plenty of time. And I'm going to invite you forward if you need to repent before the Lord. I'm not asking you to come up. I'm not going to give you a mic and share your dirty laundry. But I'm saying there's a step of obedience of coming out of your chair and coming forward and repenting. And here's what I want to tell you. Every revival, every revival is based in repentance. It's not hype. It's not always the best worship. It's not always the best speaking. In fact, if you talk to the guy who spoke right before it all took place, he called his wife and said, another dud. Preached another dud. God's not interested in my preaching. He's not interested in the worship. He's interested in your heart. Repentance is this, getting this right, repenting, turn away from and saying, God, I need you more. And I'm telling you, this church, this region, the body of Christ is on the precipice of seeing a move of God. And we will get in the way of it if we don't repent and say, God, have your way. I am no longer fit to try to make this happen on my own. I mess it up every time I put my hands to it. But Lord, I need you. Some of you, you need to repent of that addiction and you need to get it gone today. Some of you need to repent of a wrong mindset. You need to let that go today. Some of you need to repent of not trusting him with your finances, with your mental health, whatever it is. He is better than you ever can imagine. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.